Welcome. This is my truth as a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I'm your host, Jesse Sherliff, and today I am excited to introduce you to my friend, Sarah Devereaux. Sarah and I actually go way back. She actually started Google. Um, I actually thought it was the same start class as Greg, but apparently she was the start class after Greg. And so um, we have known each other for, for quite some time, and I am really excited because we've recently reconnected and it's just such a great conversation. We talk about, you know, our experiences of, of leaving Google. And in particular, Sarah brings up, you know, that her truth is that her identity is not tied to Google and what that looked like for her. And, you know, I, I often believe people come into my life at the right time. And this is a great example of that because... I was explaining to Sarah that I've been having a really hard time with my identity being tied to Google for so long. Um, and so hearing her story was just such a good, a good uh, conversation. But, but it's deeper than that. We actually spent time talking about what it is that defines us and why things define us the way that they do. And Sarah shares a personal story about her family um, that she hasn't shared in a really long time. And I'm super grateful that she that she was able to share that with me and with all of you today. So a little bit more about Sarah. She spent 14 years in the learning and leadership development space at Google. Some of her more, most recent roles included head of executive development programs, head of strategic initiatives for the Google School of for Leaders, and the global lead of the G2G Googlers to Googlers program. Sarah started Third Coast Coaching in 2019 and has been coaching and facilitating for more than a decade on a variety of topics, including resilience, well-being, innovation, self-awareness, leadership, complexity theory, systems thinking, and more. Sarah has a passion for learning and helping individuals and organizations to realize their full potential. She is particularly passionate about coaching senior women leaders in traditionally male-dominated industries like tech, finance, and manufacturing. Sarah also leads marketing and customer success for a SaaS startup, Murmur where she's helping to build the first comprehensive system of record for working agreements. Murmur is all about helping teams agree to work better together in a way that builds psychological safety, creates a sense of belonging, and places equal value on ideas no matter where they come from. Originally from the great state of Michigan, Sarah now lives in Boulder, Colorado with her family. I think you'll really love my conversation with Sarah. If you want to connect with Sarah, you can find her at sarah at thirdcoastcoaching.com or on her website, thirdcoastcoaching.com.
Com. And in my conversation with her, I found out that Third Coast is referencing Michigan or Lake Michigan, which we talk a little bit about people from Michigan, like Sarah and my husband, have a great, great love for their state. It's very impressive. I thought New Yorkers were very proud of their state. Turns out Michigan Michiganders have us beat. Um, but I hope you enjoy our conversation and please reach out to Sarah and myself and let me know what resonated. What were some of your takeaways from our conversation? Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me on. It's been so fun to reconnect with you. Well, I like to start these conversations by asking the question, what is the truth that you would like to share today? Yeah, so the truth that I was thinking about when we when we were chatting was that I am not defined by my job. And I think that's an actual like it's actually a really good thing. It's it's not something that I'm looking to change. And I think I I kind of felt guilty about it for a long time. And particularly, you know, since moving uh, from Google and and into this coaching business that I'm doing and, you know, working at a startup. You know, am I supposed to be obsessed, you know, with the way that, uh, you know, my career is going and am I supposed to be obsessed with what I do day to day and I'm just not. And it took me a long time to kind of get to a point where I felt like that was a really good thing, like that I wasn't so defined by my job that when I thought about who I was, uh, especially working at Google, that Googler was not at the top of the list. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of other things that define me and, you know, happy to get into whether, whether those are healthy or not, but my, my job is, is not one of them. And it's not that I don't care about what I do. I really, really care about the people that I coach and the companies that I advise for and, you know, the, the startup that I, that I help out at. Um, but it's just not the top priority in my life. So I know when you and I connected, so first of all, thank you for, for sharing that, you know, I was telling you a little bit about my journey in the last few months of, of jumping at Google and saying, you know, like there was so much of my identity tied to Google and you, you'd been there a little bit longer than me because you started with Greg, right? You guys were in the same start class? Uh, second actually. So he was one class ahead of me. I didn't realize that. I always thought you guys were the same. Yeah. A couple weeks. Um, (laughs) which, you know, it's all so fast. <laughs> it, was, it really was. Um, especially at that time, <laughs> there was just, I feel like hundreds of us at, at once. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious, like at, what was that journey like for you? And I'm selfishly mm. asking, cause I'm like, ha, teach me Yoda, like <laughs> detangle myself. <laughs> you know, it, it took a while. Like I, I hadn't, Google was not my first job out of college. And it, it was for a lot of folks. I think it was for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wasn't for me. And so I think that my, my experience with coming into that environment was actually different um, than a lot of folks who came straight you know, out of the, the university setting. For, for me, I just, I hadn't had that before where so much of my life was, was about work. I was a retail manager for Macy's. Uh, before I came to Google, I used to uh, train horses and muck stalls. I was a bartender uh, in college. You know, I washed dishes. Um, and I think that coming into Google, the, the first thing I remember was that I thought it was really weird that everybody was just like hanging out all the time. 
and that people would stay at the office and that the office lead would order pizza and you know just everybody just people didn't go home and i was like well don't don't doesn't anyone want to go home and so i I remember feeling like it was a very strange, almost like, you know, I know it's a strong word, but it felt a little cultish. I and would agree with that term, actually. It was very strange. Um, I remember my mother, uh, who actually encouraged me to apply for Google in the first place, uh, flagging this for me a few months in that she felt like it was a little codependent, like, and just to kind of watch out. And I feel like it's normally a really good idea to listen to my mom and I didn't. Uh, and I feel like I really, I just drank the Kool-Aid. I got really into it. You know, my friends were Googlers. Uh, my social activities were all Google. You know, I was really into participating in all of the, you know, kind of after-school activities and, and it, and it really wasn't healthy. So honestly, the, the first time I, I really defined it as a family, like all of that, the first time that I, I realized wow, this is not a family and I have grossly misjudged this situation was when I had moved to California and my husband and I had planned on staying for a couple of years. We ended up staying four, got pregnant, decided to move back to Michigan and they told me no, um, that I couldn't go and that I had to stay in California or I had to leave my job um, and I had to find something else at Google. And I was, now that I look back on it, unreasonably heartbroken. Uh, I was, I felt so betrayed. I felt so discarded, like that I just, I didn't matter to them. And I was like, how dare you not love me back? Like I've loved you, you know, for how many years and how dare you not love me back? And it really like, thank God I was heading out on maternity leave, you know, just a couple of months later. And, you know, we were gonna move so we could have the baby in Michigan and everything. But, um, you know, we decided to just stay and like, Jesse, but I, I, I feel like maternity leave really gave me a lot of perspective on what really matters. And you would think that, you know, potentially my anger <laughs> at the situation would have continued to fester, but, but actually, and my, my husband was a really big part of this, I, I started to realize that it wasn't Google's fault. I really wanted to blame them. I wanted to say how, how horrible this was. Aren't you awful people for doing this to a pregnant woman who just wants to go home to her mother? And honestly, like when I really objectively looked at the business decision, they, they were right. Like my job wasn't going to be as effective from Ann Arbor. And I could write down as many proposals as I wanted about how it was going to be good. They, they really were right that it wasn't the right business decision, but I didn't expect them to make a business decision. I expected them to make a decision out of love. And that's where, that's where I was wrong. So that was really the, the catalyst that started me thinking about this relationship that I had built, you know, this very one-sided relationship, you know, in terms of love in particular, that, that just wasn't healthy and that was too big of a part of who I was. And so I kind of started the process from there of, of unraveling. 
I love what you're saying because I can think of moments where the seeds were planted, where I had similar situations, right? Where objectively I'd be like, okay, like I get that this is the right business decision, but, but I'm a, I'm a person. And in particular, I remember, um, one situation we had gone through a reorg. It was one of those re I went through many, but one of those, right. Where, um, they gave everyone an option, like we'll slot you or you can find a new job. Um, and I remember coming home and saying, I feel like a number for the first time yeah. in my career. And I was probably, you know, I was probably with Google by 10 for 10 years at that point. Um, I felt like a number and that was probably like my slow, like, again, it was like a seed. Um, but but I can so relate to, to that. And I think, you know, we started in the same office. We were talking when we, when we were connected, you know, I started, okay. <laughs> I feel like I surround myself with Michigan people. Um, you know, what was interesting for me, it was when I started in Ann Arbor, you know, I also, my dad told me to take the job. I wasn't going to take it. And he was like, no, no, you don't turn Google down. And I was like, I think I might like my boyfriend and I at the <laughs> time, <laughs> like had said, you know, like we were like going to move in together and like, and anyway, obviously that none of that worked out, but like I took the job and I thought it was interesting because they did this thing where they recruited from the coast and brought people who had no connection to Ann yeah. Arbor to Ann Arbor. And so you had all of these like young professionals who had no connections, like of, to me, it was like, of course I want to hang out with these people. They're the only people I know. <laughs> and so yeah. I remember when Greg and I left the Ann Arbor office and moved to Chicago, I made a conscious effort to like find friends outside of Google because it was, you know, now like looking back, I'm like, oh, I wonder if subconsciously I was trying to like start that process of like recognizing that it probably wasn't the healthiest that you know, I lived, breathed, slept, dreamed, like worked, yeah. you know, with Google and, and, and everyone who I was associating myself with did the same. Yeah. I mean, for, for people like, like you who came straight out of college, you're, you're essentially going from your parents' house to whatever, you know, living arrangement, you know, you're not fixing the roof and, and mowing the lawn, um, regardless of what living arrangement you have in college, normally anyway, you know, you're going from your parents' house to, you know, the university house, maybe the sorority house or the frat house, and then you're going to Google's house and, you know, or whatever tech company, you know, insert your favorite tech company here. Uh, but whether it is intentional or, or unintentional, there's this codependence that's created when you, when your employer is also the person, you know, the entity, you know, even saying it now, it's like the person, they're not a person, yeah. uh, the entity that feeds you, that does your laundry, that makes sure that you're healthy, that gives you a gym membership, has an onsite doctor, has a therapist, you know, all of this stuff that's normally part of lifing, that's part of adulting. And, and Google's just going to do it for you. And I think that in the early days, it really was about, hey, we're asking a lot of you. And we understand that balancing 
just daily life responsibilities and the requirements that we have of you are is really difficult. So we're going to try to make it as easy as possible. And I actually do believe whether or not I'm still sipping Kool-Aid or not uh, is, is up for debate. But I do believe that it was unintentional. I really do think that they were trying to be helpful and that they started down this path and then they saw some of the writing on the wall and it's just been really, really hard to wind it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. And it's, it's been interesting. Like you think about 2020, right. And the co and pandemic and everyone mm -hmm. having to work from home. And even like, I remember, you know, we, we both, you know, you eventually worked in headquarters or around, were you in Mountain View or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I worked out of uh, Mountain View and Sunnyvale. Okay. But like, even I've always worked in remote, like the remote hub offices. Right. And, you know, I just remember, you know, the, it's to some degree, like the entitlement of people, right? Like there would be the protests for the, when the cafe went vegan for a day and, um, meatless Monday, meatless Monday, ever, right? Ever like meatless Monday again. quite, quite the tizzy, <laughs> but like, so you, I think about that. And then I think about like, you know, what has happened over the last year with everyone working from home and, you know, the asks for, you know, for, for Google to be shipping people like food and snacks. And it's just been very interesting, in my opinion, to sort of observe people's reactions to it, because at the end of the day, Google is a company, like they're, they're an entity. And, and I agree with you. I think you know, they, they truly care about their employees and um, to, to the extent that, you know, they, they want to make sure that they're providing, you know, on-site healthcare where, where they can and um, obviously, you know, compensate us very well. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a company. And I remember having conversations with you know, numerous people on my team. And it's, it's hard when, when all of those things start to like intertwine, it's hard to decouple it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think as, as Google continued to scale and they realized that a lot of the practices that they had adopted early on just weren't gonna work, you know, for a grown up company, it was, it was really a culture shock you know, as they started to transition towards towards being more mature and being more businesslike and and professional, I remember the the first time that we started seeing suits uh, in in the office regularly, and I was like, wow! And it's not just the salespeople. Look at that; other people are wearing ties, uh, and it was just a really it was very weird. And and I think that as they started to evolve what those policies and and what those culture what that culture really looked like it was it felt more again like a betrayal than it really should have like as things changed like one of the things I, i'd love to ask you is if if think about like you know kind of the times where you have felt like google has let you down um i'm sure you have a few i have i can count them on more than one hand um okay. but if, if they hadn't set the stage in the way that they did, if they hadn't said, we, we care about you, this is a family. I can't tell you how many teams 
I went through, you know, I had 19 managers in, in 14 years. So lots of reorgs. I can't tell you how many teams I would come into. And the first email from everybody was welcome to the family. It's like, this isn't a family. Like this is not, this is not healthy, but how, how betrayed or how let down would you have felt if they hadn't sort of set the stage to make you believe that they would do anything for you? Because I don't, I don't know. I'm interested to hear how you felt. I, that's how I felt like Google would lay down its, you know, proverbial life for me. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, I can think of numerous instances, um, and betrayal is a good word for it. I, I do feel like, like I go back to that um, that reorg where I felt like a number. I happened to be in India when the reorg was announced for Google. And I was actually meeting Greg in France for our one year anniversary after mm. my India trip for work. And, you know, I was, I remember just, having conversations with Greg and like, that's, I, I didn't have the words for it then, but that's a good way of, of describing it. Like I did, I felt betrayed. I felt, um, that like champions that I had, you know, within the company weren't standing up for me. And, um, even, even in just how they, they handled the situation, right? Like I, I felt like a number that I think that, that sums it up, but yeah, in normal situations, it wouldn't have been that big a deal, but you know, that was the, that was all I had known. And, you know, I've, I think I actually had over 20 managers in the 13 and a half years that I've been <laughs> oh there. Right? Like, I remember one year I had six managers in one year. Oh my God, you beat me. And, um, and I also don't think that's <laughs> Holy shit. uncommon. Like, I think our experience is having numerous managers. Yeah. Very yeah. common. Um, you know, and, and there is, there's that, that, that culture of, of, of making you feel like a family. So yeah, I think betrayal is, is a really good word to describe yeah. how I felt in those moments. And I think, you know, I think there's a, I think there's a couple things that are attached to that. So one is that, again, I, I think that if you just didn't talk such a good game, Google, like I, I love you, I do. Uh, you know, I always, I always like to say that the best, you know, two days of my career were when I got hired at Google and when I got fired from Google. And I'm happy to, to talk about that too. Um, but I, I don't hold any, any animosity and I don't hold any anger. And I'm so grateful for the time that I spent at Google. I am heads and shoulders a better professional today um, than, than I was when I joined. And I learned a huge amount and I'm super, super grateful, had amazing life experiences and I think you would have far fewer disappointed employees if you stopped, you know, kind of talking maybe in ideal terms. Like, so I think a lot of times Google will talk about things and I see this in other, you know, tech companies as well, but obviously, you know, I spent the most time at, at the G. Uh, but I see, I see tech companies talk about, I think how they wish things would be. It's very aspirational, right? Silicon Valley optimism. I think, I think they talk about how they want it to be, but they're not there yet. And, and sometimes they don't even intend to go there because they've realized that actually that promise we just made is not a good business decision. And we do have business you know, responsibilities. We are accountable to our shareholders. That's how we've set things up. And so I think sometimes they can't fulfill the promise because they've determined it's not a good one for very valid business reasons. And I think other times 
they're not there yet, but the expectation from people is that they are. I think the the Timnit Gabru, you know, whole situation is is a great example of that. Like we were talking a damn good game about diversity and inclusion. A lot of what we were saying, I truly believe that the leaders who were saying it believed it, but we weren't there yet. And so, so when do those promises stop being inspirational and when do they become toxic and when do they become damaging and when do they start to feel like betrayal when they are unfulfilled? And then the second thing is that there, I really have an issue with, with treating work as a family and talking about work as a family specifically. So language is something that I'm a big, I'm a big geek about and language really matters. And families, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of shit <laughs> like that comes along um, with families. We all carry baggage. Um, but I, you know, families, families are, are institutions, they're, they're groups, whatever you want to call them, that that we expect love and we expect care from. And so when we're calling something a family, but it doesn't, again, give that love back, that's a problem. And also, and this was something that, you know, was brought up, I think, I think in the New York Times, the recent New York Times article about the, the, the engineer yeah, um, who said, I'll never, yeah, I said, I'll never love a job again. Um, I think this was brought up in that, or it might've been in the op-eds, um, but that followed. Um, so the comments that followed, but families also, we let them get away with a lot of stuff. Like we don't call out the wrongdoing all the time. You know, there's all those unspoken rules and there's like, oh yeah, remember that time, Uncle Larry, um, or remember that time Aunt Jan got so angry and like, but nobody actually talks about it. It's just like, you know, you know, you know that one. Um, and I don't think that that again, calling and and treating a company like a family. I don't think it's good for the individual, and I don't think it's good for the company, and I don't think it's good for the future of work. You know, we need to get to a point where we are holding the company accountable, where the company is holding us accountable, where there's a a healthy reciprocal relationship. And the way that we talk about work right now, about loving it, about being a family, about having passion for your work, about um, all of this is, I don't think it leads or is building towards that reciprocal relationship of accountability. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I want to change gears slightly because it, I think it'll dovetail into what we were talking about, but you know, you, you started the conversation and saying that like work doesn't define you. Mm. So, you know, I'm curious, how, how would you answer that question? What does define you? <laughs> it's so funny. So right before this call, um, I was upstairs, uh, making, uh, making dinner and I hadn't fully prepared for our conversation. I was like, God damn, I got to have some good answers for, for Jesse. And my husband, right as I was picking up my computer and coming down and saying what temperature to set the oven to at, you know, 630, um, said, she's probably going to ask you what does define you if work doesn't. So you better have a good answer. Yeah, Paul. Uh, so here we are. Here we are. Good job, honey. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a couple of things. So one one is definitely my family. Um, so I, I shared this uh, shared this with you before we started recording, but I have a uh, perhaps untraditional family. Um, I have uh, my 
uh, my daughter has uh, four grandmothers um, and, you know, multiple grandfathers <laughs> and all kinds of stuff that, you know, she's related to by blood. She's not related to by blood. Um, and, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was really little, you know, we grew up with my grandparents, which was a huge piece of, of defining who I am. You know, it was so weird for me to think about the fact that my kids are not going to be going through history class and learning about World War II with people who were there. Like, because that was such a cool thing when I was a kid. It was like, man, yeah, Pearl Harbor, tell me all about it, Papa. Like you were there, you know? So it's very different. So my family is a really big part of it for me. You know, I have two adopted brothers who are, who are both black. Um, so going through the last year with, with George Floyd and, and a lot of the, the policing uh, and Black Lives Matter conversation and inclusion and equity conversations um, has just been incredible. Having you know folks who who really understand it just in my family. Um, so I think that that my family and who they are and what they stand for and the impact that they've had on my my life is a is a big part of it. Um, my home is another really big part of it. So I am a Michigander like through and through. Um, I fucking love my home state. <laughs> like, it, to be a Michigander, you have to fucking love Michigan. You have, you like, have to fucking love it. <laughs> I, I, as someone who's a transplant from the East Coast and like, I I love, I love New York. Like you guys have a beat. <laughs> you guys are nuts. Uh, yeah, we're, we're a little diehard and, and I do, I, I love my state. I am a big Detroit fan. Uh, you know, I grew up outside of Detroit. My husband grew up in Flint, you know, so there's a little bit of a rivalry going on there. Uh, but yeah, I, I am, I am very tied to my state. Um, so, so Michigan matters a lot for me. And I think the, the history and the grit, um, and the, the love, um, and what I think is a, a level of understanding and kinship that just, we are lacking in a lot of places in our lives. And I think that politics is something that's very interesting having been from a swing state. Um, it's, it's very interesting to think about how people from different sides of an argument interact with each other um, when that's what they're raised with, as opposed to you know being, being in a bubble. Um, and California was weird. It was like, God, there are literally no Republicans like in this area, this is so strange. And I do think that that level of uh, isolation makes us poorer. Um, I think it's important to, to understand, but, and to disagree, absolutely, but to understand and to seek understanding and not, and not attack. So, sorry, long-winded answers, family, my home, my home state. Um, and then I would say like my, my values and the, the principles that I, that I really stand for. So I, I believe in, transparency and treating people as adults. Um, and regardless of, you know, how big their paycheck is or where in the uh, hierarchical structure they happen to land. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, treating people uh, for the intelligent uh, and well-intentioned adults that they are um, is very important. I believe that one of the driving factors uh, in humanity is kindness. And I am, you know, I think, uh, the, the book, I read a book recently called uh, Human Kindness. And I, I am willing to be cheated a few times uh, and, and assume kindness and assume that people are gonna do the right thing. Um, and I also, I also really value and believe in 
um, inclusion and making people feel like they belong and not, not judging them or making assumptions um, based on what you think you know, but, but approaching situations that perhaps are unfamiliar to you with a level of curiosity. So you can edit that. That was just a gazillion <laughs> no, things, was, but whatever's good. good in there. <laughs> that was, it was all good. It was all, it was all really good. And what's coming up for me is I'm curious, like specifically for your values, like, you know, do you have any like defining moments? Like what, what stands out to you when you think about that? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of them just to be, you know, very, uh, transparent, because uh, I because I value that uh, is honestly, so I, I mentioned that my my brothers um, are are black. Uh, my dad and my stepmother adopted them. Um, I was six years old uh, when they adopted Ben. Uh, and I think, oh, God, sorry, Anthony, I think you're 12 years younger than I am. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I was 12. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Shit, I'll have to check. Wherever you are. <laughs> I'll give him a call. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, I was six and 12. And I remember when my dad, you know, came to, to Michigan, he and my, my stepmom lived in DC and he came to Michigan to talk to my mom about the fact that they were, you know, going to adopt, you know, this little black boy um, and how they were going to approach this with me. And after I went and they did it and I went and met Ben and then, um, and I can't actually remember if that was, if I went to them or they came to me, but I remember coming back from wherever that interaction is I, or was, and my, my grandmother, I was talking to my grandmother about it. And my grandmother's a wonderful human being in many, many ways. And she's also a little bit racist. Um, she's 92 and that's not an excuse, but it, it provides some color, um, some context. And I remember her saying to me, well, you know, he's not your real brother. And it was just like this. I was so excited. I had a new little sister, like at home, you know, with my mom. I had this new little brother, like in DC at my second home with my dad. And I was having a really good year, <laughs> like in terms of, you know, siblings and, and just growing our family. And I just, I was, I remember being really like shocked as much as a six-year-old can be shocked. But I was like, I'm like, just what? It was such a strange moment. And I think that it really defined, it really defined like my, my, a lot of my views on um, assumptions and, and curiosity and just, well, that's not right. Like I, I remember, uh, you know, thinking, I can't remember if I said it or not, but like dad showed me the paperwork. I'm listed as a sibling. Like I am legally his sister. And I remember thinking, you know, you're, you're, I love you, but like, you're wrong about this. So what else are you wrong about? And I think that really started my, my thinking that, you know, this, this very traditional kind of, you know, home that my grandmother had built, maybe there were a few holes, maybe there were a few things that weren't quite right, but just the level of assumption and the lack of curiosity that she approached that moment with, um, yeah, just really, really stuck with me. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I love that you're calling out curiosity because I truly believe that 
our superpowers as humans is our ability to connect and have empathy. And like, yes. in order to do yes. that, I believe you have to have genuine curiosity and the ability to, to, you know, share stories in order to create connection. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful for you for, for sharing some of your stories today. And, um, so thank you. Oh, thanks, Jesse. This was great. Um, I, yeah, I really love what you're doing. And I think being able to, you know, say what your truth really is, it, it feels good. I don't think I've told that story. I didn't plan to tell that story. I don't think I have though in 20 years and it felt great to say it again. So thanks. Well, thank you. Sarah, how can people continue to follow you? Oh, great question. I am relatively anti-social media, which I am also happy to talk about sometime. Uh, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, so Sarah Devereaux. Uh, and then you can also, let's see here. Well, how else could you find me? Sarah at thirdcoastcoaching.com. So Third Coast Coaching, a homage uh, to Lake Michigan. Um, but yeah, reach out where that came from. <laughs> yeah. The third, the third coast is the beautiful lakeshore, um, of, of Western Michigan. Uh, so yeah, but I, am. Uh, at least it is in my book. I'm told that they talk about third coast in Texas. I'm not from Texas. So that's, that's not how I define it. Uh, but yeah, so please, yeah, feel free to reach out. LinkedIn's usually best. Um, but yeah, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at thirdcoastcoaching.com. You can reach me there also. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I've loved reconnecting with you. Same, same. Say hi to Greg. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If something in the conversation resonated with you, please, please share it with a friend that you think needs to hear this conversation. Feel free to tag me on social media. Let me know how you're listening, where you're listening, and what resonated. Tag me at This Is My Truth Podcast, or feel free to shoot me a DM. And because we're a new podcast and this shit matters, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review. Tell me how you truly feel. This entire podcast is about vulnerability and authenticity. So let me know how you really feel and give me some feedback. I really appreciate it.